All right, so guess what? We're starting a new series today. I'm really excited about it. And uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, Yeah, I feel you. And so I'm really excited about it. We're gonna be in the book of Luke for the next nine weeks. And guess what? I got you guys a gift that I think you're gonna love. Sarah, are we ready for this? Okay, so everyone here, whether you come back next week or not, you're getting this journal. This journal is super cool. So it's the book of Luke, it's the ESV version, and on the left side of the page, it's the scriptures, and on the right side, it's just a blank notes page for every page. So, boop, boop, you know what I'm saying? Bink, here you go. And so, it's super cool, and we're handing these out for a a couple of reasons. I know we're all excited, but keep listening. (laughs) It's okay, come as you are, listen though. So we're handing these out for a couple of reasons. One, um, we're gonna be in the book of Luke for the next nine weeks, and so it'd be kinda cute if a lot of us just kept bringing this little guy back and like using this as I preached. But really, the main reason I got it for you um, is just so you'll know that little resources like this are available. Like, if you're in a book study, you can go on Amazon or Google and just go, uh, whatever book you're reading, Mark, Matthew, Genesis, I don't care, and then ESV Journal. And you'll find one of these. These are like $4. Well, and to buy them for all of you is even less than that a piece. And so it's awesome. And so anyway, I love stuff like this because it's small, it's compact. I can take it with me wherever. And at any point, man, quiet time's just waiting for me. Isn't that what you want, y'all? Aren't y'all just hungry for that? Quiet time, anytime you want it. Um, I know you guys are hungry for that. So, all right. There's a journal for you. Um, so please use this, um, whether it's from me teaching or from your own time with the Lord, or if God just shares something, you need to write it down. These, these journals are here for you. If you don't have a pen, I did think about providing a pen. There are pens on the communion tables, so you can use those. Um, but at the end of the day, we have a budget. Couldn't buy everybody nice pens. But I seriously thought about it and actually wanted to give you a really nice pen too. Um, too much, don't be greedy. All right, so we're gonna be in Luke. Um, the series is gonna be called um, Walk With Me. And it's gonna be rooted in Luke chapter five, so you can go ahead and turn there in your journals that you have now in your hands. Um, it's gonna be rooted in Luke chapter five, and it's, it's kind of based out of this story where Jesus calls out to, and I'm gonna read this later, but a guy named Simon and a guy named Levi, and just says, follow me. He invites them to follow him, and they give up everything and they follow him. And the reason we're calling it walk with me and not follow me is because I want to make sure we capture some of what would have been um, intuitive to the disciples when they heard this call to follow Jesus. One of the things they would have known um, was, well, actually, there's two words I want you to remember. The pace of this invitation to follow Jesus, to walk with Jesus, and the presence of this invitation. So first is the pace. I'm using the language walk with Uh, Because when the disciples heard this invitation from Jesus, they would have understood that this is going to be a 24-7 deal. They're going to wake up slow with Jesus. They're going to get breakfast with Jesus. They're going to travel with Jesus. It's going to be a slow deal. This is not a rushed. I don't know if you've ever taken one of those eight-week courses in college where it's like, hey, every Wednesday from 4 to 12, we're going to be in class for eight weeks so we can give you your credits, right? It's, It's not one of those experiences with the disciples. This is a, hey, come just be with me for three years straight, just it's a slow pace. And then obviously included in that is this this word presence, this follow me, walk with me. And so in this invitation, the disciples understood, we're about to spend all this time in the presence of Jesus, like at all times with 
Jesus. And the reason I want to point out the pace and the presence here that the disciples would have understood is I believe that this way of living is also available to us. Um, That's kind of the heart behind this series, that God would transform the pace of our hearts, our minds, our lives, and also our understanding that the presence of God is with us. And so every week, the goal for summer, real slow, simply walking in the presence of God. I hope this feels... um, I hope throughout this series you're just able to breathe and just know that God is near you and is, is just actively involved in your life. It's, it's that simple for the summer. So um, until the college students get back for their semester, this is what we're going to be talking about um, in Luke. We're going to look at several different moments between Jesus and his disciples, um, and each time kind of digging into what did the disciples see? What did they hear in their context? What are, they, what are they seeing in Jesus? What's happening in their life as they watch Jesus live? And we're just going to glean from their experience. So we're going to start, like I said, in Luke chapter 5. Um, so if you're not already turned there, go ahead and get there. We're going to read verses 1 through 11, um, and then we're going to read verses 27 and 28. you got to flip a lot more in these journals. Hold on. All right, I'm here. Page 38, if you're using one of our journals. Um, Okay, so before I read, Luke 1 through 4, you can go read it. Um, But all you need to know, Jesus was born. Uh, He's the fulfillment of prophecies of long ago that the Messiah would come. So Jesus comes, fully God, fully man. He's been baptized. God's spoken from the heavens over his life. Um, He's overcome temptation um, from Satan. This is all in those chapters. Um, And in Luke 5, he has begun preaching the kingdom. He's been preaching in the synagogues. People have heard him preach the word. There's some power behind Jesus. Um, I think he's already done a healing, right? Yeah, he's healed a lot of people. He's casted out demons. So a lot's gone on with Jesus before this moment. Um, It's really cool. So you can read that sometime this week. All right, so let's go. Let's get to it. Luke 5, 1 through 11. It says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, Jesus, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. So Jesus gets in one of the boats. I don't know how normal that was, that he just got in another per- He's so good, man. That's so crazy. <laughs> just, just say his name, man. That's wild. Um, I don't know how normal it was to get in a stranger's boat, but Jesus certainly takes initiative. He gets into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked Simon to put out a little bit from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. As in, we fished all night and there is, I promise you, not one fish in the water. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. So a lot's changed. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink, a lot of fish. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, don't don't be afraid. From now on, you're gonna be catching men. Weird phrase, right? But... Um, Simon understood what was going on here. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now we're going to skip forward a few pages. 
Uh, actually, I think it's just, hold on, two pages, I think. No, just one page. To verse 27. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, Levi rose and followed Jesus. Okay, so there's a ton of really beautiful layers to the two stories I've read pretty quickly here. Um, I mean, Peter, his obedience, his epiphany about Jesus, his response to Jesus is insane. Levi's a tax collector. I'm not even getting into the layers there that Jesus calls on a tax collector. All the context there is pretty insane, like what Jesus is doing here. Um, What I wanna do for today, though, is nerd out for a little bit. Um, Not as aggressively as I wanna nerd out, but we are gonna nerd out just a little bit um, about what it meant when Jesus said, follow me. Like, what did the disciples hear? Not just on like a heart level, but like contextually. Why why does Jesus go, here's a ton of fish, now leave it all and follow me? (laughs) Like, why did that make sense? I was really curious, and so, can we just all collectively agree for the next probably six to eight minutes, we're gonna get a little nerdy and then we're gonna pull out why it's special. Is that cool? You guys ready to nerd out just a second? Um, Okay, so what did they hear when Jesus said, follow me? We're gonna start out with the education system within Judaism. And if anyone knows more about this than me, I'm sorry from where I just don't do any of this justice. Um, But I did spend a lot of time reading about it. We're gonna talk about the significance of a rabbi calling out and saying, follow me, Um, and then kind of why all this is super awesome and how it can apply to our life, okay? So um, first of all, education system, Judaism. So there's three stages. Are we ready? You ready? Okay. There's three stages of the educational system. First is the stage of Bet Sefer, all right? Bet Sefer. This is from ages five to 10 years old. First stage of learning within Judaism, okay? Bethsefer means house of the book. So this stage of education took place in the synagogue, and the emphasis was kind of around this simple question, what do the scriptures say? Just what do they say simply? So the focus was on reading, it was on writing, and memorization of the Torah. Does anyone know what the Torah is? Can someone tell me? What is it? First five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So picture five to 10-year-olds, picture Genesis to Deuteronomy, and then picture telling those five to 10-year-olds to memorize all of it, right? I don't know what you were doing from ages five to 10. I was at VBS eating sugar cookies, drinking lemonade. Like, I swear to you, probably not listening a lot, right? I swear, the one memory I have, this just came to me from VBS, is learning how to spell the word miscellaneous, that's all I got for you. So while I was learning, I was memorizing how to spell that word, these children were memorizing Genesis through Deuteronomy, okay? So that's where, that's the first stage of the education system here, okay? The second is called Bet Talmud, which means house of learning. In this stage, it's from ages 10 to 12, the focus was on the study of oral interpretations of the Torah and the rest of Jewish scriptures, In other words, going from what does it say to what does it mean, okay? So that's kind of the second phase. What does it mean? And memorization was a basic learning tool, which I feel like is already obvious in the fact that they memorized the first five books of the Torah, or or, or memorized the Torah. So third stage, Bet Midrash, okay? This is the third and final stage. This is the hardest one to pronounce. I don't think I said it right. The third and final stage stands for the house of study. This is only for people in the ages of 12 to 13 or older, okay? 
and only gifted students joined this stage. Um, I couldn't get into how they were selected. I'm guessing it's a tap on the shoulder, you're invited in. I think that's right. Um, But the focus was not just on knowing the Torah um, or knowing what the Torah means, um, but it was on applying it to your life in a more intense fashion. So it goes from what does the word say to what does the word mean to um, how do I live the word out, okay? So how does this become an intense part of how I live? How does it change my actions, right? And the students in this stage would attach themselves to a rabbi and travel with them as a part of their education. So they'd get attached to a rabbi, watch everything they did, observe them, right? So let's pause there. What was a rabbi, you just asked internally? So Jesus is referred to as a rabbi multiple times, um, and this is what the disciples saw Jesus as. Uh, In addition to being Lord and the Son of God, Jesus, as you can kind of tell, is already known. I mean, Peter's already calling him master. So there's some appreciation for Jesus' knowledge of the scriptures, his ability to teach the scriptures. So rabbis were greatly respected teachers. Um, They were known to just know the word inside and out. They were also known to teach the word very well, um, and they lived it out. It impacted everything about their life. And culturally speaking, there was a high respect for rabbis. Um, There's actually this this quote in the Mishnah. It says, let your home be a meeting place for the wise. Dust yourself in the soil of their feet and drink thirstily of their words. In other words, lower your faith, lower yourself before a rabbi. Like sit at their feet, learn everything you can. When a rabbi's in your presence, show them hospitality because they've got something for you. They know the word of God. They teach the word of God. They live the word of God. They're important. So how do you get to follow a rabbi? All right? How do you get in this situation if you're in that third stage and you want to attach yourself to a rabbi? Well, traditionally, they would request permission from the rabbi. They had to go to the rabbi and ask, like, can I attach my life to yours? Can I follow you around everywhere you go? And if the rabbi says yes, you can go, okay? Now, I'm not done yet. Are you guys still with me on the nerding out part? Because we got a little more, all right? So rabbi says yes. We're in that world now. Bet Midrash, if that's how you say it. Rabbi, yes, I'm in. Here we go. Now there's four tasks if you're following a rabbi, okay? Four tasks. One, memorize the teacher's words. So oral, trans, oral transmission was the only form of intergenerational communication. Rabbis believed that only scripture was worth being written. And so anything else in addition, it was just, hey, memorize what I'm teaching you, how I interpret it, memorize what I'm saying. So that's task number one. I cannot imagine how big their, their brains were. They memorized so much. I think we underestimate the power of the brain. I just want to go ahead and say it because I feel like they were really outpacing us here with the whole memorization stuff. So you need to believe in yourself. You can do more than you think. Your brain is super powerful. Um, Number two, they would learn their teacher's traditions and interpretations. It was expected that the disciple would follow their rabbi in this regard, how to uphold traditions, how to interpret scriptures, how to teach the Sabbath, how to keep the Sabbath, how to fast, how to pray, how to bless the food. Like they're paying attention to how they do all of that. They're just watching, observing, memorizing, learning it. Number three, they were there to imitate their teacher's actions. 
their conduct, their speech, their deeds, a.k.a. be around them enough to begin embodying their life. I think osmosis might be a good word for this. I'm pretty sure that's the appropriate application there. Like, be around it so much you just become like it. That's the third task. So eventually you need to look very similar to your rabbi. And then number four, and I never got to when this officially happens. I think the rabbi, once, he, once he's like finished his work, I think he communicates it and says, we're done. So now your fourth task is to go back to your community. You are a rabbi and do this in your community. Get more disciples like this, okay? So that was the fourth task. Go back to your community and do this with other people, okay? And again, I didn't have a ton of clarity on when that was official. There's like a ceremony, a graduation, like a tassel, Boom, I can make disciples now. I don't know, but I know at some point that happened, okay? And that was the fourth task. Okay, do we feel like that, are we here? That you hear it? Okay, because now we're gonna jump back to Luke 5. We're gonna talk about why this, and that's not even half of it, y'all. This goes, I really, talk to me after. It's pretty fun figuring out where all this came from. So back to Luke 5. What did this invitation mean for the disciples, given all the context? And I'm gonna cover three things. And I'm going to try to make parallels. Well, what does it mean for us? Okay. So first, this was a huge identity moment. And if you've been here for any amount of time, we like using the word identity. It's really important we know who we are before we get consumed with what we do. Um, But also we've used that word so much we might lose it. I want us to understand this was a huge fundamental identity piece. There is no evidence that Simon or Levi made that third stage of education. Because traditionally, you stop at the second stage, and if you didn't advance to the third stage, you would just follow your parents' trade. So Simon's a fisherman. So we can just assume and gather his dad, his mom, someone was a fisherman, right? Levi was a tax collector. His parents, someone was a tax collector if they couldn't go to that third stage. So they just followed that practice. So when Jesus calls them and says, follow me, we need to hear how strange that, that was really out of the blue, Um, And not even like, before we even get to the spiritual metaphor of it, just contextually, it was surreal that Jesus is calling out to them. Like, I don't think it would have been on their radar. I mean, first of all, it was weird that a rabbi would call a disciple at all. As was custom, the disciple reaches out to the rabbi, asks for permission, and then crosses fingers. Like, I hope the rabbi believes in me enough to call on me. So it's probably fair to say This is the first time ever a rabbi has even initiated anything like this, that this invitation's ever been on the table, much less that Jesus is is actually inviting him himself. He's initiating the conversation. So we see how stunning this is because Simon goes, before Jesus even invites him, he goes, Lord, like I'm a sinner. Before he even invited him, he's like, you are something different. What just happened with the two boats And all the fish, and they're almost like submerged, like, please get away from this. Get away from me. So Simon's so aware that he's not qualified. But Jesus has this moment where he goes, Simon, you are qualified because I say you are qualified. And it's kind of the end of discussion. So the validation that is happening here, when Jesus says, follow me, when you think about the context and then the spiritual side of Peter feels so unworthy in this moment, but because the rabbi said, follow me, he's in and it's kind of over. And I don't want to spend too much time here um, making the parallel for our lives, but this is so true of us. We are not entitled to God's presence. Like we are not entitled to God being sweet 
to him being gracious, uh, to him being close to us. Like, that is not something, humans don't um, approach an omniscient being and go, here's my rules for how you should operate. It doesn't go that way. <laughs> like, it's just not as much as we want it to and as many movies as we've seen, and I, I don't know why movies have anything to do with this, but you've all seen movies, <laughs> and you know what's in those. Um, but no matter how we think of it, and times I get frustrated, God, you should be this way. It's like, not, no, no, not really. Like, not actually at all. But just because out of his goodness, God has said so, we are made qualified because of the life of Jesus. And so this is the starting point for us. God showing up, blowing our minds, us going, we did nothing on our own accord to merit this invitation, and yet the invitation is there nonetheless. So it's a really powerful identity moment. Secondly, this is an unbelievable opportunity for the disciples here in Luke chapter 5. So most of the time I look at this story in Luke 5, and I think about the cost of the moment. So when I preach Luke 5, typically, I mean, I did this with um, Luke 14 two weeks ago. Think about the cost of following Jesus. Count it up. Surrender everything. And I try to like preach my heart out and go, man, how do I help these people surrender, let go of everything? And like, there's almost this like undercurrent of, man, it's hard, but it's worth it. And I think that's true. Taking up your cross, following Jesus, it's hard, but it's worth it. I totally think that's real. We need to understand that this scenario for the disciples was so sick. Jesus tapping them on the shoulder and saying, follow me, was an unthinkable opportunity. Jesus is saying, we've already heard Simon say, master. We already know he's a well-respected rabbi. He's already turned no fish into a lot, a plethora, an overwhelming amount of fish. So he's special. He's like son of God stuff. So when Jesus says, hey, Simon, you can drop everything right now and spend every day with me, that is an incredible opportunity. On some level, I don't actually think this took a lot of courage. On some level, I'm sure it took a ton of courage, but I was kind of like spinning, thinking about the context here. I'm like, wait, his dreams are coming true. Like, not only is this a rabbi, this is Jesus. This is a rabbi with like some extra something. Like, he's got miracles going on. I don't see any other rabbis flexing that ability like that, right? And so this is like a stellar opportunity. Peter, all you gotta do is just leave here and you can be with me. It's a no-brainer in this moment. I mean, just imagine for you, I don't know who this person would be. It's kind of weird to make a comparison to like Jesus saying, follow me and like someone in your daily life. But just imagine if there was like a drawing. Hey, if you get drawn, if your name gets drawn, you get to spend 24-7 for the next, that's kind of weird. You get to spend the next day with this person you super look up to. Like, and you get to see them, not when the cameras turn off, when the lights are off and they're just living life. You get to just learn more about them. Like all Peter knew about Jesus was he preached amazing sermons and he had the, the spirit of God in him. Something was special. And all of a sudden Jesus is going, if you'll follow me, I'll give you all the access you could ever ask for. You'll get to see me in my, when I'm busy, when I'm teaching, but you'll also get to see me when I'm just like eating lunch, right? When I'm just like doing life. You get to watch him teach, watch him walk, watch him as Andrew and Peter have an awkward argument at dinner. And you get to watch how Jesus handles when two people begin to argue. Or you get to watch a disciple wake up in a, bad new, in a bad mood and you get to just like see how Jesus handles someone who's just like tired and sarcastic and annoying that day. And you get to like pay attention to what Jesus is doing. I remember 
Whenever I came to Ethos the first time and I heard Dave Clayton preach, he's the guy that started Ethos. He's an amazing preacher and one of my best friends on this earth now. But at the time, all I had done was hear him preach. And I remember, um, I, I like, you guys know this story, a lot of you do. I, I got coffee with him. At some point, we talk ourselves into an internship, and I don't think we regret it. And so at some point, he went from the guy over there teaching amazing sermons to the guy inviting me to his house for dinner or inviting me to go to the Green Hills Mall to pick up a suit for a wedding he's officiating. And we just did these normal things together. And I don't know if you've ever had a moment like that where someone that you've seen at a distance that you're really impressed by, that you admire, maybe you even wouldn't mind becoming like them, and suddenly you just get your open invite. You get to be really close with them. But I loved the little nuances. And I hope this doesn't sound weird or stalkish, but I love the little nuances that made Dave Dave. I got to watch him in normal life, like flex the patience in his heart. I was like, wow, I would not have responded to that the way you just did. I got to handle him, like, I got to watch him handle like awkward conversations at church. Someone walks up and just asks a really strange question. I'm like, what, what did that even mean just now? Then I watched Dave and Grace listen, pay attention, and like humanize and like fully respond, fully present in the moment. I knew his calendar. I knew how busy this guy was. And yet I watched him over and over and over again be really present. I just remember being, just paying attention, like, how does this guy do it? I loved that kind of access. I don't know if I'm selling you on this. If that sounds good to you, for someone you look up to, to get really a lot of access into what makes them them. But it was really special for me. And if I think Dave is that cool, I hope we understand. Peter and Levi, or Matthew, getting this invite to get this kind of access to Jesus is so sweet. They get to learn what makes Jesus, Jesus. Have you ever thought about this? They got to learn what makes Jesus laugh. What was his sense of humor like? Did he, I almost said, well, I, I almost said fart, and now I've said it. <laughs> so let's just move past it. But they knew the answer to that. They could tell me right now if he did or did not do that, right? Like, that's a lot of access, right? I just think that's so special. They knew if he was an Enneagram 10 or an 11, but it was higher than nine. It definitely didn't fit on like the human spectrum of the Enneagram, right? But I hope we hear the privilege it was for Jesus to go, you can come as close to me as you want to come. Not just when I'm teaching the Sermon on the Mount, but when I'm traveling from one city to the next, you can be with me. And that is true of us today. I understand the breakdown. We don't have the physical Jesus to attach ourselves to. But I think this is more true than some of us understand. And I'm going to get to that later. So actually, I want to expound. So third thing. So the second, they had an unbelievable opportunity. And then third, unparalleled presence. It just struck me that they were always with Jesus. And I don't know if this feels redundant, but it feels different to me than the previous point. But they're always with Jesus. Like I thought about Peter waking up at sunrise and like wiping the sleep out of his eyes and like stretching, yawning. And like, I'm not a morning person. So in my head, Peter's really groggy and just not in the mood. And his disciples are still sleeping. And then he, like, he kind of hears a fire going. It's crackling a little bit. And he kind of like looks up with squinted eyes. And Jesus is already up. It's obvious he's already spent time with the Lord. Super annoying about Jesus. He's just like locked in like that and just super disciplined. And he's making them breakfast. And Peter, just because he woke up, he's in the presence of Jesus. It didn't matter if Peter felt like being in the presence of Jesus. It didn't matter if Peter believed Jesus was the son of God in that moment. It didn't matter if Peter was in a good mood or a bad mood, if he felt like talking to Jesus or not. Jesus was there. 
no matter what. And I think something stuck out to me about that reality. There was this effortlessness with the disciples and being in the presence of Jesus. There was this lack of trying super hard to be around Jesus. Like, I'm not trying really hard to be around Joe right now because Joe's right there. <laughs> That's why it's not very hard to be around Joe because he's, he's sitting next to me, right? And in the same way, the disciples did not have to try to be in the presence of Jesus because Jesus was simply there. So I thought about the identity of this moment, the unbelievable opportunity in this moment, the unparalleled presence in this moment, and I believe that this is for us right now. In the same way that, we, that the disciples got to really learn from Jesus, by being obsessed with how he acted, what he said, what he taught, how he lived out the word, but also just by being around Jesus constantly. I was like, I think God has that for us. He put that on my heart. Like, we get some version of this. Jesus left the earth with a really important promise. He says, when I leave, I'm going to send someone to you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit of God, and he will live in you. He's the helper in the spirit of truth. And if you've been at the Ruby, you know how much I believe in the Holy Spirit being in you, the helper in the spirit of truth. But I, I think God is inviting us in our church family over the next nine weeks to remember how present God is in your day-to-day -day life. For the past several weeks, before I got the idea of Luke and the disciples and all this stuff, all I had was a simple image, and Sean, I hope this doesn't embarrass you, but it was of Sean Johnson, and I was thinking about him. And um, he's married to Hannah Johnson, he's got a son Toby, daughter on the way, he's got Mike, he's got a whole family, he's got a job, and I thought about Sean getting in the truck after work heading home. And my prayer was, I pray that when he gets in the truck, Right when he gets in, the most normal, mundane, forgettable moment, just in the middle of a transition of life, going from work to home, he remembers God is present in that truck. And anything he wants to talk about, he can do it. Anything he wants to do with the Lord. If he just wants to enjoy the Lord, no prayer requests, no, hey, my bad, I messed up today. Just enjoy the fact that it's him and his pickup truck and the Holy Spirit's there. And I was just like, will that be true of Sean? And I want that to be true of our church that as you live your daily life, you would understand you have this unparalleled presence in your life, this unbelievable access to God himself in your day-to-day. -day. Like, you don't have to come to the ruby to get the presence of God. I hope you get it here. But man, the minute you get in the parking lot, God is there. And I thought about this, this chapter in, I think it's 2 Thessalonians, no, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 where Paul has this prayer for you. He says, hey, rejoice in the Lord always. He says, pray without ceasing. And I don't know about you guys, but when someone looks at me and says, hey, pray without stopping, I'm like, okay, why don't you just chill out? Because I got a lot going on in my life. I, I just do. I, like, what do you mean? I can't stop praying. That sounds awful, uh, exhausting, um, annoying, and not even really worth it. Like, I'm gonna be mad while I'm praying because it's so hard to keep doing it, right? But then I realized, like, this is kind of obvious, but I'm like, oh, Paul isn't saying try super hard all the time to concentrate on prayer. Paul understands God is so in him that he is constantly in conversation with him. And I think, I don't know if it's because, like, we're in the Western Hemisphere, we have, like, a really industrialized culture, but the minute someone tells me to do something, I'm like, okay, what's my three steps? I don't go to, okay, who am I? 
so I can obey the instruction. I go to, okay, what are my three things? And the minute you tell me to pray without stopping, I'm like, <laughs> no, there is no amount of steps to get there. It sounds really exhausting. But I think God is wanting to remind us or something, maybe teach us for the first time, when he is ever present in your life, there is 24-7 conversation available. In the same way that anytime I'm around Joe, conversation with Joe is available, Jesus is always with you. And when we really get that in the bedrock of our hearts, I, I believe it changes everything about how we live and breathe. I think it makes peace without um, comprehension, like a peace that we can't understand. I think it makes that verse make more sense. Oh, I can't logically explain it, but I just have this peace I'm walking in. It's like, yeah, that's the spirit of God. It's what he does. He helps us walk in our day-to-day, -day, aware of him, and also aware of the people around us. He just changes how we see the world. And so that's what the next nine weeks is all about, is us like really letting God have a say in the pace in which we live our life and teaching us and, and helping us understand on a deeper level how present his Holy Spirit is in our lives to walk with us, to talk with us, to teach us, to lead us into freedom. And I think it's just a really beautiful thing. And so um, every week, I'm gonna try to give you an assignment. And my hope is that it feels very simple and approachable. So this week, maybe write this down. Where are you gonna write it? <laughs> I'm kidding. This week, let's start with this. Whenever you think to do it, throughout your day, as many times as you think to do it, when God reminds you, just say, God, like, I'm just going to remind myself you're here with me. Thanks for being with me. Thanks for loving me. Thanks for leading me. Don't write that one down, but just whatever your version of that is. Connect with God. Whenever you think about it, acknowledge that the presence of God that is available to you, and when we're all singing worship, when I'm teaching the word, when you're praying with your house church, that same presence is with you in the most mundane moments. And this week, it's your only assignment. God, I acknowledge you are actually with me and you care. Lead me. Change the way I see the world today. Just acknowledge his presence. For now, I want to get communion together. And I have a simple discussion question. Um, and this is up to you how we do this. Typically, I just invite you to circle up your chairs with three to five people around you, whether you know them or not. Do a quick introduction and then just share together, process the teaching together. But if you're here and you want, you'd rather do communion by yourself or you're introverted and need some alone time or you're extroverted and you need some alone time because extroverts need alone time too, feel free to sit by yourself. But if you're comfortable, circle up with three to five people and just answer the question, what comes to your mind when you think about the phrase, walk with me? In relation to Jesus, like when you think about walk with me, what do you think of? How do you walk with Jesus? And then at some point, I'd love for somebody to pray over your group and just ask, God, will you help us to walk with you this summer, to be so aware of your presence, to be so aware of your pace? Help us, will you just like help us know you're with us, grow us in our awareness of your living and active presence in our daily life, okay? So that's, that's the hope, that's the heart for the summer, that's the heart for communion. Um, does that make sense? Does anyone have any questions or, or thoughts or anything? Okay. Um, we'll get back to doing that more, where you talk more than I, than, you know, we have a little conversation. Okay. For now, let's go to communion. Let's talk about what does it mean? What does it mean when you think about walk with me? We've got communion on uh, these three tables, these two in both corners and this table right here. So feel free to stand, come grab communion. And then whenever you're ready, I mean, get right to it. Circle up your chairs and just share. And what do you hear? When you hear walk with me, what do you think of? What does it mean to walk with Jesus? 
And then let's just pray for our summer, man. Let's pray that we walk with the Lord, that we walk closely with God.